All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. You do need to put your name on a waiting list to sign up for Chen's letter, and uh, the beginning, the first uh, couple of weeks of the new quarter, he will be accepting new subscribers. You can sub- uh, subscribe to my letter anytime, though. Go to miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter or to put your name on Chen's waiting list. I also I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and uh, would encourage you to continue sending along your questions to questions4taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And also follow uh, my tweets. Uh, My Twitter handle is jtaylormedia. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors uh, for today's show are Carlisle Gold, Oron Resources, Cornerstone Capital, and Kalanex Mines. I've titled today's show, Richard Mayberry, on self-protection from growing wars and inflation. Well, Richard uh, Mayberry and Michael Oliver will be with me today as well. Michael will uh, be with me in just a few minutes after the first commercial break. He'll give us his latest uh, technical analysis on stocks, bonds, gold, and silver. Uh, hopefully, we'll have time to, to touch on all of those topics. Uh, then at about half past hour, uh, Richard Mayberry will be with me to discuss such issues uh, that he's recently discussed in his newsletter as gold versus uh, the dollar panic, uh, the growing chaos in the Middle East and around the world, understanding the Middle East conflict and some ways to not only defend yourself against rising violence here in the United States, but also to prosper from rising violence and, uh, and conflict around the world. Uh, Richard will have some ideas uh, that uh, will touch on those topics. And then uh, one of the topics that he wanted to talk about today, and I'm really very agreeable to it because it's an issue I have some difficulty with having been brought up uh, in a Mennonite household, and that is the morality of buying defense stocks. Uh, Richard has some very interesting things to say about that, and uh, we'll ask him uh, when he comes on the show. Uh, Time permitting other topics I'd like to really talk to Richard about uh, is Beijing preparing for a nuclear war? Uh, is a draft coming our way? Uh, also, Richard has some ideas on coping with Obamacare. A company, he also came out with a really interesting story about a company that he thinks could profit from the drought in the West, in California, uh, in the western part of our country. And a new type of city for your protection is heading your way. Richard goes back and, and thinks forward in terms of how 
society may form itself in little conclaves to protect itself going forward in the future. Always lots of exciting and, and interesting things to talk to Richard about. We never have enough time, which is why I would suggest that you go to richardmayberry.com, richardmayberry.com. Take out a subscription to his very reasonably priced newsletter, uh, and I think that you'll find him to be very insightful and very worth the read and the time and the money that you spend for a subscription. Before we get to Michael Oliver and then later uh, Richard Mayberry, I want to talk to you a little bit about the financial markets from my non-technical perspective. It's Richard uh, Michael Oliver is not only a technical analyst, which is why I like to have him on, uh, since I am not a technical analyst. I really enjoy Michael's work, but I find it to be very uh, very accurate. Uh, I found it to be very accurate, and I'm finding him uh, also. He's with his credentials, uh, coming with uh, background at E.F. Hutton many years ago, and uh, a client of his not too long ago, Wachovia. Uh, he has a very unique way of looking at things. He's uh, from his structure and momentum models that he uses. I, I find them very helpful on a day-to-day basis, a week-to-week basis, to sort of uh, have a sense of where you're at and where you're headed in the various important markets. Um, Michael thinks very logically, too. It's not as if he's just a technical analyst and doesn't look at fundamentals. He certainly does. He is a free market thinker as much as anybody. Uh, Trouble is, we are constantly moving further away from free market economics towards what I would call a corporate fascist model, which large money central banks, essentially, and money center banks and large corporations are increasingly in bed with government to control not only the markets such uh, that wealth is being wrestled away from those that produce it uh, to those that manage it, uh, but also that it's making it more and more difficult to try to figure out uh, and make sense of the world that we're in. So I think uh, that technical analysis can be helpful, uh, but of course it has its limitations too in a world in which markets are not free to act normally. We, uh, we know for sure that uh, from people like David Stockman and John Williams, who've been on this show, many others as well, that our government is constantly lying to us about economic statistics. And we know also in talking to Daniel McAdams uh, on our, that our government is constantly lying to us about what our military-industrial complex is up to. And uh, it's our military-industrial complex combined with NATO, of course, and what is going on overseas. We, in fact, uh, are, in fact, what seems to be happening is NGOs headed by folks like George Soros and uh, Victoria Nuland are going about the business of unseating democratically elected governments. Well, I thought we fought World War I to make the world safe for democracy. Now when democracies spring up from various places, and if those democracies don't serve the purpose of our ruling elite, then uh, George Soros and his money and his power goes in to unseat, to create uh, to create tensions and troubles and, and to get the government tossed out, as happened in the Ukraine and is apparently now about to take place uh, in um, another part of the world. Uh, and Daniel McAdams is talking to us about that uh, on a regular basis. Uh, also, just a, a note here that came to my attention before the show began, and that is apparently George Soros has been funding uh, the protest uh, in Ferguson that he is actually behind the uh, unrest, uh, creating a lot of, uh, uh, stirring up a lot of anger and getting the protests and and organizing people uh, to create trouble there. It's just incredible. Uh, Not that there aren't misdeeds. Nobody's saying that. Uh, But let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's just destroy everything that's good, uh, create chaos around the world. Uh, For what purpose? Um, 
Let me give you just one example of how our government is constantly uh, pulling the wool over our eyes and not allowing us to know what's going on. Daniel McAdams noted in his latest discussion with me at J. Taylor Media that the Trans-Pacific Partnership is, in fact, a total lie. It pretends to be all about free trade, but nothing could be further from the truth. What it does is causes the countries who sign on to the the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it causes them to give up their sovereignty uh, to a court system that is really run by all 16 com- countries or so that are signatories to the TPP. And as Ron Paul recently noted, if the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership was really about free trade, all it would really need to do is just take away the tariffs. Then you would really have free trade. Why all of this secretness? And it's, it's just incredible. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership and how, to what extent, the powers that be are going out of their way to keep us from understanding what's really going on and what's in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's nothing short of shocking and scandalous in my view. Here's what uh, I understand is going on. No senators are allowed to talk about what is in the TPP. No senators are allowed to go in and take notes and bring those notes out of the locked room where the document, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, is contained. They're not allowed to take in any of their, uh, of, of their assistants, their, um, the people that work with them. So they're allowed to go in and read it, and, but they're not allowed to talk about it, and they're not allowed to let you and I know what's in it. Uh, staff assistants can't go in and read it. Of course, they can't take photographs of it. They can't allow us to know what's going on. This, uh, to me, is um, what they call the mushroom farm, right? Keep us in the dark and uh, feed us fecal matter. But why? Why, why? why worry? Why should we worry about it? You know, after all, our government and the bankers, they love us, right? They care most about us. And most importantly, of course, these are the people that have their PhDs from Princeton, Harvard, and Yale. Uh, so they know, best what's, they know what's best for you. Don't, so don't worry. Just, uh, just, just uh, go along with the flow. You certainly don't need to know anything about what the TPP is about, do you? Well, I think that's just one example of the big lie that we are being fed day in and day out uh, in this country by the ruling elite, and which, uh, as James Perloff has documented on this show and has talked about, the false flags that have gotten the Americans into the last six major wars that we have fought. And now George Soros and Victoria Nuland apparently are in the process of attempting to overthrow another government, this one in Macedonia because that elected government has agreed to allow Putin uh, to build his pipeline through Macedonia into Turkey uh, for the eventual sale of gas from Russia into Western Europe. And of course, uh, NATO and the ruling elite can't allow that to happen. Well, I think it's all about, uh, I think it's all about one world government uh, and the wars uh, that, are, that are being fought now. It has to do more than anything about who gets to control that one world government. Uh, to what extent will the Chinese and the Russians have some influence? Uh, well, they're all battling each other. Or I think or we should say that the Chinese and Russians have teamed up together against the Anglo-American alliance and the NATO alliance because uh, they have more or less been forced to do so, I believe. I do applaud Daniel McAdams and Ron Paul for their efforts to get the truth out about uh, what's going on to help the American people understand what is going on. But aside from the intervention of God Almighty, I do not personally see how this move toward one world government can be stopped. And virtually all the freedoms and liberty won for us by kicking the evil king of England out of the colonies 
uh, I think, are being uh, are very much in the process of being lost. Well, given that fateful view of the world, I wanted to have Richard Mayberry come on with us. Richard may not share my dim view of the future with me exactly, but he does see some horrendous troubles ahead, and I think he has some very good advice as to how to protect oneself against those uh, financial storms and, and civil disorders that are likely to lie ahead. We do uh, have to take our first commercial break now. But when we come back, uh, perhaps Michael Oliver can lighten my spirits. He is a, a bit of an optimist, too. We'll look to Michael to help uh, to share some of his insights. Uh, his obje- very objective views, I think, Michael uh, is a very objective thinker. Uh, he certainly does uh, look at a lot of very important things going on in the market. So we're going to uh, talk to Michael as soon as we come back from a commercial break. Uh, for his insights on some of the key markets, maybe help us decipher uh, the truth of what is uh, hidden in the, in the markets, in the language of the markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Where infrastructure meets grade, Carlisle Goldfields, a TSX-listed Canadian junior miner, has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again, Michael Oliver, who is with me almost every week, whenever we can find the time to have Michael on. I love to have him on because uh, I think he provides a steady sort of sense of which direction the markets are headed and where the pressures are and, and, uh, uh, and, and just to help us get ready for what might be lying ahead or what uh, with with varying probabilities, uh, I would really like to encourage you to, uh, especially accredited accredited investors uh, who listen to this show, to go to michaelolivermsa.com. Michael, that's uh, Oliver, I should say. It's OliverMSA.com. 
Uh, to learn more about Michael's work and consider subscribing uh, to his excellent service. Uh, Michael has been, uh, he's a veteran technical analyst, uh, but certainly one that does his own creative thinking, creates his own uh, models and, and things that he uses are unique. Uh, but he was with EF Hutton International many years ago. He's had some very prestigious corporate clients in uh, in recent years, including Wachovia. And uh, so we're really uh, pleased that Michael takes the time to talk to us. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Glad to be here, Jay. Always good to talk to you. And before we went on the mic, uh, you were talking a little bit about the S&P 500. I noted that it looks like maybe today we won't make a new high. Uh, I'm looking at 2124.88 right now on the screen. Uh, and we've been making a lot of successive new highs. And, of course, the media has been making a big deal about it, you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. But you're not, you're not convinced that this is nirvana. Oh, absolutely not. No, the... Um, I, I measure markets on various timescales of trend. Uh, you know, you can look at a market and see a three-week rally and say it's up. Well, you know, what's the context larger and then larger and so forth? And as far as I'm concerned, in January, we, the market broke enough stuff on my annual momentum work to say uh, this is a top year, period. Uh, the same thing happened in 2000. Now, albeit it took it till August to start down, but it, once it gave the signal, it said, I'm doomed. It's a dead man walking. It also uh-huh. happened in early 2008. Uh, and so you will get rallies. Uh, we even made new highs here, but it's, think about this for a minute. Last year's high in mid-December was 2093 on the S&P. It's five and a half months into the new year, and we traded today all 1.9% above last year's high. Mm. So it's not a runaway. <laughs> Even on the price charts, it's not. Uh, yeah. I had projected uh, early this year that the high for the year, an optimal place uh, for resistance to come into play in new highs, would be between 2126 and 2130. Now, we've exceeded 2130 a little bit in the last two days, but basically we got into that zone yesterday and today. And uh, I w- while I would not outright sell it right here, I would look for vulnerability. Now that we've reached this level, uh, I'm satisfied that the rally could run out, run out of gas here. And basically, my advice uh, on a timing basis is the market, the S&P, cannot afford a 2% drop from any monthly high that we've made. Each month we go along, I take about 2% off of it. If you drop that much, you're going to trigger the intermediate factors to the downside, in which case I think then the onslaught begins. Uh, and right now I would say if you get into June and you find the S&Ps in the 2090s, 2080s, it's over. Uh, meanwhile, there's more exciting stuff going on in the debt markets. Well, for sure, and I want to ask you about that. So, but what you're saying really, essentially, is that two percent basically is is nothing. I mean, it can happen in a day, it can happen in a couple of days for sure. Within a week, very very likely to have could happen. So we're we're uh, skating on thin ice potentially. That's the that's the way to phrase it. Absolutely. Yeah. Dead man walking, another phrase. Yeah. One of the so things I love about your work, Michael, and I just tell my listeners, is that not only do you have provide some really interesting charts and, and you show where the momentums are, you know, the lines in the sand, essentially, and uh, what's going on there, but also you have some very colorful language. So I appreciate that. It makes it makes uh, uh, numbers and stocks and charts more interesting when you can add some color. Dead man right. walking, skating on thin ice, and all that. But speaking of skating on thin ice and the markets that you're referring to, much, much larger. You know, most people say, well, how's the market doing? They come home from work. How's the market doing? And they think the Dow, maybe the S&P 500. And if they hear it's a good number, they say, oh, good. I can go have my glass of wine now. I don't have to worry. Uh, I can. Life is just honky-dory. 
what is really, though, much, much important and what the common folks don't watch as much is the debt markets. The U.S. Treasury markets, the other, uh, the Bund and uh, the Japanese yen and some of those uh, J- Japanese, uh, J- uh, the central banks' uh, bonds in Japan, these are all enormous markets compared to uh, compared to our markets, uh, you have a sense of how much larger the debt markets are than the equity markets. I, I, th- I think something like four times or something like that. That's what I understand too, but it's definitely much larger, and, and therefore, you know, much much more gravitational pull there. So, if they move, uh, and, and they've moved in the last four weeks, uh, the drop in particular has been sharp in Germany and in the European bonds, uh, Italian, Spanish, and so forth, which were artificially priced uh, off the page on the upside or yields to very low levels by the action of government, not by yes. market forces. Uh, that came unhinged. Uh, I could see it coming about four weeks ago, and it really dropped sharply, especially the bond. The JGB, the Japanese government bond, dropped pretty sharply as well. And our T-notes, our 10-year version, those are 10-year instruments as well, dropped a little less, but still dropped uh, to meaningful levels that look damaging. And I think it's very important because... The name of the game for the last several years has been pricing of assets is achieved by central banks, period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All other fundamentals, uh, you can debate them, talk about them, they, they're meaningless effectively. And investors and, and asset managers, who are probably a level below investors in terms of intelligence, uh, have now subscribed fully to that belief structure. That as long as the CBs are in charge, uh, you just follow along and you'll make your 10% a year or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. That jolt in the debt markets was a was a wake up call, and it even woke up the ECB this morning. I I ran a report today called uh, uh, "Big Mistake," to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, with the ECB spokesman, one of the members of the executive committee, said they're going to increase their QEs for the next month or two, front load them, he called it, uh, put more weight into them uh, to buy these bonds. He was upset. Uh, too bad, but he was upset at uh, the speed of the decline in those debt markets. Uh, I think it's very revealing because what it says is despite the ongoing purchase of those instruments by the ECB, those markets got trashed, and they did, uh, did so rapidly. Uh, what, what he admitted, and that's why I said it was a big mistake on his part, was that they had insufficient ammunition to stop market forces, and that's why they're having to increase their ammunition loads over the next few months. Now, that's, a, that's the kind of thing that can cause uh, that belief structure that exists mm-hmm. among asset managers and investors to start to crumble, mm-hmm. uh, and have ramifications in the equity arena and so forth. And you I know. think it's begun. I think the crumbling of that belief structure has begun. Well, uh, they will come in, though, with more uh, a bigger bazooka, perhaps, and they'll hit, it, hit the markets with more and try to buy some more time, though, won't they? Well, you know, I mean, it could. I could technically, I could, I could make an argument that the drop in those instruments right now is already done enough for the time being, and you could uh-huh. have some just congestion, maybe a little rally, and so forth, and so on, and it would make sure. sense. Uh, but the damage done is pretty serious. It's not the kind of thing that says, "Oh, it's just over with now. We go back up." Uh, no, their legs broken there, and uh, I, I think that any rally is a failing rally now. But you also have to remember if you're shorting those markets. Uh, I, I particularly wouldn't do that. I, I use them as, an, as a tool to analyze this process, this belief structure process, and it's breaking up and how it would affect equities. But you realize if the equity markets actually catch cold because of this and do it rapidly, you know, let's say you have a 10% down month at some point, uh, mm-hmm. th- these instruments are going to rally. 
because mm-hmm. there will be a flight to safety again. Now they'll mm-hmm. rally to a lower high, no doubt, these debt markets. But mm-hmm. you know, be, there could be a flood of uh, shaking out money from the equity markets moving back into these debt markets mm-hmm. on a brief uh, flight to quality rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though rates, I think, are going up, prices down in those instruments, uh, it could be irregular. Sure, and which is why you're not recommending shorting the the long bond or yeah. The, yeah. yeah I, I understand that that. That, that certainly makes sense. But one of the things I've noticed, Michael, is that recently, you know, it used to be pretty clear cut. When the equity markets were down, money flowed into U.S. Treasuries and vice versa. Uh, what I've noticed more recently, though, we've had days when a substantial amount of money comes out of both equities and the U.S. Treasuries, mm-hmm. which seems to be uh, akin to what you're talking about, potentially loss of uh, belief system, loss of confidence. And maybe it was going into the commodities, uh, maybe a little into gold. I don't know where it was going. Real estate, whatever. It was going somewhere other than... Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. very, very interesting. So the U.S. Treasuries, uh, I mean, what do you have any key numbers there, what we should be looking for? I know you watch the 10, the 10-year the Treasury as your key. And why, why, by the way, do you watch that more carefully than, say, the 20 well, or 30-year Well, I'm an ex-futures guy, you know, for many decades. And sure. uh, the T-bond futures were where I always focused. But the uh, uh, funny thing happened there. The rotation from the March to the June contract, the March contract this year went off, and the June is now the front month, created about a 15-point up move in the price simply by rotation. Uh, it was caused by, as I understand it, a, a, a insufficient quantity of deliverable bonds against the contract <laughs> due to a, a, a period back in the Bush administration where 30 years weren't issued. Yeah. So there was, there was, a, there was sort of a gap in the supply, uh, and therefore it created this rise, and it sort of distorted the charts. Okay. And I then decided, well, heck, uh, everybody's looking at bonds. That's 10-year. They're looking at the GGB, which is a 10-year. Why not uh, focus, therefore, on the U.S. 10-year as well? And so I look at the T-note futures. And they're trading either side of 127. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can close the week out around this level. If you do, I think it is joined in with the, the bonds and the GGB in saying, I'm doing serious damage. Now, it doesn't yeah, I- have to pay off right away, but it, 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 it's negative action. Okay, some more broken legs in the bond market. Well, broken then. legs, yes. Yeah, we're talking about yeah, and one twenty-seven. I think uh, one twenty-seven twenty-five or one twenty-seven on a weekly basis uh, was your key last week. I noticed we were into the one twenty-six something earlier today, but bounced back up uh, before we went on the show. So, so that's a number to watch then. One twenty-seven on the ten-year, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, weekly close around there, I'd say it's too low. It's, it indicates future downside, future rise in rates, future downside in price. All right. With a few minutes left, we can't uh, we can't let you go without getting your latest view on gold. Uh, gold was uh, showing a lot of strength till today, and as seems to happen so often, uh, before London goes home for the day, they smack the market down really hard. I saw we went down to I don't know something like twelve oh seven or something like that. We were up at twelve twenty, twelve even twelve thirty uh, in Asia. I don't know this morning or yesterday morning, but it's been a pretty strong gold. Uh, market the last few trading sessions. Uh, what's your take on gold now? I think it overcame last week's close. I think last week's close overcame one of my first primary hurdles, the three-quarter average, which happened to be a level that it bumped and bumped and couldn't get above. And it closed above it last week. That's 1218. Um, staying above it isn't essential. It just it broke through the hurdle. And I think you, you have to treat gold like you do the S&P right now. It is, it's in a quagmire. You know, it really is a tight-fisted situation where there's about 3 or 4% swing between the highs and lows of gold over the last several months. That's all. Uh, and, and, and so it's very much contained. It seems to be wandering, but in my view, it's edging upward, and I think the S&P, uh, with a sneeze here, will be clearly going downward. So I, I think you've got to take the day-to-day stuff 
sort of with a grain of salt. My big number on gold remains for the rest of this quarter uh, getting up to 1255, particularly in a weekly or monthly close. Uh, we had a high yesterday of 1232, so it isn't all that far above the market. Yeah, and I think I think if we see that a bull market in gold has emerged. Period. So we see some equity market weakness. Uh, your sense is that we probably see some of that money flowing into uh, to the treasuries. Maybe some of it might escape into gold as well. Uh, the treasuries, I think, that will go into there only if you got a dramatic down day in the S and P. Not not you know not not a ten twenty pointer, but if, if all of a sudden you had a little mini crash type event of a ten percent drop rapidly in a period of a week or so, I think then you would scare folks. It would take something noisy like that, I think, to actually push enough money back into the uh, T notes and so forth. Uh, not just the down in the S and P, but the speed of it. I think that would be the issue: is whether money would fly to the to the notes temporarily. Uh, and I think gold will get to be a beneficiary of this asset reallocation. I think commodities in general will also, with you know some being leaders, some not, but will be beneficiaries of an asset class shift here. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had higher interest rates, uh, that would make sense if it went along with commodities, because it would sort of I, I suggest to me, at least, that it was uh, a loss of confidence in, in financial assets, perhaps, and in the central bank, essentially. The question is whether this comes all of a sudden or whether it's a gradual uh, demise of confidence in the, uh, in, in the central banks. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? In- I'm a believer in chaos theory, and I happen to believe that the incrementalism that we, people have gotten accustomed to uh, over the last few years, because it seems to have been controlled and engineered by the central banks in, in an incremental way, I think it comes undone rapidly. Uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me that uh, you know, in a matter of two, three weeks, dramatic price moves could occur if, if the right triggers are hit first. And like I said, on the S&P, it's about 2% below the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be hitting those triggers. And I would not expect an incremental decline, mm-hmm. at least the first leg. I would expect something ungentlemanly. Okay, well, uh, that's exciting for traders anyway, but you want to be ready for those things, and that's why we thank you very much for coming on, uh, sharing your insights, Michael. Very, very greatly appreciated. Just one last quick question. Uh, oil, you saw as sort of a laggard in terms of the turnaround, I think, in commodities. Do you still see it that way? Do, have we yeah, seen I, the I bottoms in oil? Be quag- yeah, I think it's going to be quagmired. Uh, I have various reasons to assume the following statement, but I think you'll see oil trading at $57 next quarter, which means right around today's low. So if we sell off from here between now and the end of the quarter, I suspect sometime next quarter you're coming back up here, or you'll linger at this level until you get into July. There's certain reasons to do that, but then at that point, starting next quarter, I think another leg down in oil could occur. Now, I'm not at all confident that that means a new low. Just some mm-hmm. kind of serious leg of decline, you know, possibly down to 50 or even the high 40s. Uh, and that, there's a, technical reasons for this. Uh, so I do think oil is in a basing process, but it's now near the upper end of the basing process and is likely to have another leg back into the lower end of the basing process. Okay. That's something that we should see in, in the next quarter. Okay, so quagmire is the key word there with respect to the oil market. So it's mm-hmm. uh, very good. Well, thanks again, Michael, for being with us. And uh, always always a pleasure to have you on and have your views shared with our listeners. Thank you very much. We we'll look forward to talking to you hopefully next week again. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to have Richard Mayberry with me as soon as we come back from commercial break. He's the author of Richard Mayberry's Early Warning Report. It's one of those newsletters uh, that Ron Paul has said, I read it anxiously every time I get it and I feel that way too every time I get Richard Mayberry's latest monthly letter 
it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you know when you get the mail comes in and you say, I've had enough of this, I don't want this, I don't want the nine-tenths of it is junk, just goes right in the waste can. Richard Mayberry is one of, the, one of those precious pieces of mail that I look forward to receiving. And he's going to be here to share just a, a few of his insights with you. So don't go away, we'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network calinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts this tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper zinc gold and silver in manitoba canada calinex's projects are within 10 miles to hud bay's mine that has less than five years of ore Calinex has high-grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Calinex by visiting Calinex.ca. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-E-X dot C-A. Calinex is publicly traded under the symbols CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. I'd like to have Richard come on about once a month or so, and the reason is every time I get one of his monthly newsletters, I just feel like I have to talk to this guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not fair to, to call Richard up and, and not have him spread his wisdom with other people, and he's gracious enough to do that, to, uh, to pass along his insights, geopolitical insights, in addition to economic insights. And Richard, I think, is a wealth of information, and uh, I always like to encourage you to uh, go to Richard's uh, website and, and sign up for his letter. It's a very reasonably priced newsletter. Uh, and as I said, it's one I can't uh, really can't do without. It's one of those gems that I look forward to. The gobs of mail we get, we throw most of it away, but Richard Mayberry's uh, early warning report is absolutely uh, a must read. Uh, go to, uh, there's two, well, richardmayberry.com, Richard Mayberry, B-U-R-Y, just so you get it right. Or you can also go uh, to earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com. Um, the, the subtitle to Richard's newsletter is Adopting to and Profiting from the Collapse of the Federal Government's Empire. And uh, that is a, you know, a subtitle is partly why I named today's show Richard Mayberry on Self-Protection from Growing Wars and Inflation. Uh, so welcome, Richard. Thanks for joining me again. 
Oh, thank you, Jay. I always enjoy being here. It's a, usually a, a really great conversation. Thank you. I, 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 love, uh, I love your insights into the markets. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's just, I think probably a lot of our listeners are, are already familiar with the views of many of, of, our, of our guests uh, on the dollar and on the uh, what are viewed as an unsound monetary system that's based on a promise to, it's based on a system of IOU nothings. It's based on a system of money created out of nothing without anything in support of it, and that's why Mr. Kissinger had to go out and, and create the petrodollar in um, uh, with uh, w- with Saudi Arabia. But in any event, uh, review for us if you might just why are you. Uh, why are you concerned about a dollar panic? I mean, after all, central banks seem to be doing a pretty good job, according to what we're told at Bloomberg here on my screen. Okay, well, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck with having to talk just theory here because the world has never before been through a case where all currencies are fiat currencies, meaning created out of nothing, out of thin air, and that the whole, the whole world is afraid of all of the currencies. That's never a condition that's never existed before. Um, and it's it's growing more intense now, as everybody knows. You've seen the euro collapse. That's a, mm-hmm. a major currency that's taken a very sharp dive. And um, I think uh, what I've... I've come up with is the hypothesis, and it can't be any more than that because there's no evidence, because there's no experience on this, mm-hmm. but I think it's a pretty good hypothesis, working hypothesis, that what's going to happen is one currency after another is going to be subject to a panic, and it looks like the euro is headed in that direction, and a lot of others will too. And what will happen is that people will be running out of currencies that they regard as lowest risk. And so they will more and more crowd toward a few select currencies. One would be the Swiss franc, and then the other one probably the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And, and as, as other currencies are falling, uh, going into panics and, and being driven down, people will more and more run to what's left and, and will eventually be in, a, be in a position where the only thing that's going to be left is the U.S. dollar. So, and I think we are in the early stages of that now where the dollar um, is strengthened by the weakness of all of these other currencies. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, even though it's undoubtedly the most inflated currency, uh, large currency in the world today, um, as far as increasing the money supply. And it is nevertheless in great demand because people are so much more afraid of all of these other currencies. So as the, as the monetary crisis, as the global monetary crisis gets worse, the dollar actually benefits from it <laughs> yeah. for, for a while. Yeah. But I think what's coming is that at, at some point, then people will also finally uh, give up on the dollar too, and then they will be fleeing from all paper currencies, and then, then you'll have these tremendous climbs in uh, gold, silver, platinum, real estate, anything that can't be created out of thin air we'll see its price rise dramatically at that point. But I don't think we're there yet. I think we still have some time left 
where people are still crowding into the dollar in order to escape from everything else. And so uh, we just have to wait. But I think it's, it's for sure the day is coming when the panic to get out of the dollar will be as intense as the panic to get out of everything else. Well, Richard, what you just told me makes a t- a total sense to me for many reasons. Uh, just today, of course, there's more and more fear that Greece is going to tank, and, and it's, just, it's, it's just a basket case. It's not going to survive. Uh, that is, whether the euro survives or not is, is you know, the question, but uh, Greece is going under, and there's nothing that can be done. Uh, there's, uh, anyway, there's, there's uh, increased anxiety in the markets today. It's one of the reasons the, the dollar is actually strong. The euro is weak because of the increased tensions there. Uh, and then uh, going back from a longer-term historical perspective, one uh, analyst that I've had on this show in the past, Bob Hoy, uh, has done a lot of work and looked at historical, uh, let's say these deflation, let's say these credit Im- implosions that take place whenever over the last 300 years he reckons that we're in the sixth major credit contraction in the last 300 years and uh, and that uh, each and every time the senior currency is the strongest one until until the end. And so that's exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. And it also it rings true with John Exter's work. And John Exter had the inverted pyramid in which he, uh, the things at the top of the pyramid, you know, it's a pyramid that's inverted, so the top mm-hmm. is broad. And all the things that are uh, things that you don't have to have but people want to have or they live recklessly and they buy things and, you know, second, third homes and boats and ships and whatever nonsense people buy and they waste their money and they buy. So all those things uh, at the end, they start getting sold off and you start having what looks like a deflation it's a credit implosion and then the and then the money goes down to the bottom to the most liquid asset which is the US treasuries but it could be other treasuries but then as each and every country starts to have its problems it goes to the safest treasury uh, and then ultimately outside of that inverted pyramid is uh, gold uh, mm-hmm. and and perhaps silver, but gold for sure in extra's view. So both of those things, your hypothesis makes total sense to me, and uh, I, I think you're on the right track. That's my belief. Uh, time yeah. will tell, okay. as you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I certainly see that's, res- that's, that's evolving from this massive amount of money that's created around the world, tremendous amounts of mischief that is created, uh, there's growing chaos in the Middle East and around the world. You know a lot about the Middle East. You've studied the Middle, Middle East and, and global uh, geopolitics, really. But, but you talk in your newsletter about the growing chaos in the Middle East. To what extent do you think uh, England... The 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 uh, let's say the Anglo the English Empire and now uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, Anglo-American NATO uh, construct is causing and adding to the chaos in the Middle East. Oh, tremendously! I I think it's uh, it's just you know the old expression throwing gasoline on a fire. That's what Washington does best. <laughs> um, and, and they have unlimited amounts of money. And Richard, they have unlimited amounts of money since there's no gold standard. They can just print unlimited amounts of money as long as the dollar is that most senior currency, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they, they've got a free hand to do pretty much anything they want, and that's what they're doing. They just meddle in one country after another on the assumption that they know what's good for these people. You know, the, the, the people in Washington are so good and wise and noble that they know what's good for other people, and they have the right and the duty to go into these other countries and, and remake those countries according to the American way. 
And this is insane. This is totally insane. But Richard, let me just stop you there. Let me stop you for a minute. Don't you realize that most of these guys that we see from the Council of Foreign Relations, we see them on television, we see them. These are guys from Princeton, Harvard, and Yale that have PhDs. How dare you question their uh, their brilliance? <laughs> well, I, I question it because um, back in the 60s, I was in the uh, 605th Special Ops Squadron. I was one of the people that helped revive Air Force Special Ops. And our uh-huh. job was to back up these crazy dictators um, around the world and and try to build this U.S. empire. And so I'm speaking from direct experience on this. Uh-huh. I, I, I helped build this monster. And <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing at that time. You know, I was just a, a guy that got drafted and wound up there. But um, uh, it's it's insane this idea that that uh, Americans somehow know what's good for other people and we should reorganize their countries. <laughs> and yeah, but this is uh, these other people don't like it and they fight. Uh, it's it's the, the most insane thing in the world. This drive to democratize everybody. Everybody's got to have a democracy. Um, why is that? It's it's. Uh, and, and, you know, I, my next newsletter coming up, the one that's going to be uh, mailed next week, I, I give the people a, a scorecard here, or a, a program of, of America's or of Washington's allies in the Islamic world. I've got a list of 15 different religious groups over there mm-hmm. that Washington has either gone to war with or has formed an alliance with. And and um, these groups are fighting each other. They're fighting us. It's just a free-for-all. It's a complete, total free-for-all over there that Washington has created by trying to go into those countries and reorganize them according to the American way. Well, the American way, to me, I'm confused about what the American way is because <laughs> didn't we supposedly fight World War I to make the world safe for democracy? And here's the other thing, Richard. I believe that it's, it's fairly well documented, and Daniel McAdams talks to us from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, I've had other guests, uh, James Perloff, for example, on this show, uh, that uh, there have been false flags in, in past wars, They've, at least to get the American people's support behind those wars. Uh, and, and just more Recently, uh, Victoria Nuland, uh, financed by uh, supposedly by George Soros's money, went in to unseat the elected government of the Ukraine, and we got our own guy in there that would support uh, the NATO alliances. They didn't. Uh, NATO didn't like the idea that the guy that was elected uh, was too close to Putin, and so mm-hmm. uh, we we uh, you know what kind of. Yeah. But then we put in a thug. Uh, to our liking, it seems to me that we don't give two hoots, and I say not the American people, but the powers behind the throne doesn't give two hoots about whether people are elected about the people in these countries. It's all about grabbing their own power. And is this chaos being created uh, to serve some end? Um, I rather, well, yeah, the end is the joy of using power. I, I think that's one thing Americans uh, have really forgotten completely. It's been cleaned out of their educations, is that power corrupts. And mm-hmm. people hear that as a cliche, but it never sinks in as to what it really means. There are lots of people in the world who just love to meddle in other people's business. Uh, they like to interfere. They get a joy out of that, and they go into politics where they can do that. And in the United States... 
we have something called the Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights, which limits their ability to do it to you and me. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much anymore, but it has for for all of our American history. The the Bill of Rights, especially, has has somewhat limited these people's ability to meddle in our lives. So what they have done is to go abroad. The Bill of Rights stops at the border. Ah, yeah. Outside so then they can, the country, uh, yeah, yeah. Outside the country, they can do anything they want, and they do. And I'm the voice of experience. I was there in the 605th Special Operations Squadron watching dictators being set up just because those dictators claimed to be friends of Washington. Yeah. So we don't really care. Uh, so, so the people and, and the propaganda here doesn't have, uh, people don't have any idea of what's going on, I think, in terms right. of that power, that power, that thirst and hunger for power. In the meantime, mm-hmm. lots of money is being made, uh, certainly, in the military-industrial complex. I remember uh, President Eisenhower, upon leaving, uh, and I am old enough to remember President Eisenhower leaving, making that speech about the uh, military-industrial complex, warning about how it would become, uh, you, you know, would would become our, uh, say, our 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 leader, or uh, would force us into uh, areas of behavior that wasn't in keeping with our constitution. Um, and so, but here's the thing, Richard. One thing I really wanted before uh, we run out of time today, I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, first of all, with this chaos, I know that. And, and the growing chaos around the world and the demise of the dollar, the dollar likely to head for the, you know, into the dustbin of history like all other fiat currencies have. With that, you, have, you, you own gold and silver. Tell us about some of the other items in your portfolio. I know you're in, into defense stocks, and I know that's one thing that you really uh, – I want to talk to you about. Okay. Uh, but before you get to that, what else besides defense stocks and precious metals? You have uh, commodities, real estate, things like that you put in there too? Yeah. Um, I recommended uh, Toll Brothers, for instance, in the last newsletter, a uh, real estate uh, company. And, um, oh, you know, uh, a lot of, of mining companies, um, one of my favorites is uh, BHP, BHP mm-hmm. Billiton. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know... The way I see the world is the two most reliable economic trends are war and debasement of currencies. And so Mm -hmm. I try to pick all of my investments uh, on the basis of ones that will will benefit from those two major dominant trends. Those trends, you know, just overwhelm all of their trends. And and so on the in the short run, you know, the stuff I pick goes up and down, but in the long run, it's been doing wonderfully for decades <laughs> because those two major trends have been in place for thousands of years, actually, um, and so that's what I've been on. Yeah, um, and, your, and your portfolio has done very, very well. Uh, I think you might do well, Richard, just, just a bit of advice to you, if you, mm-hmm. if, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. You might uh, blow your horn a little bit more once in a while in your newsletter and show and show your, uh, your, your listeners, uh, I mean, your subscribers, what you're doing and how well you've done. Uh, mm-hmm. I know once in, a, once in a blue moon you do that, but you might, I would just suggest you might do that more often. Okay, uh, if well, you, thank if you, you can for keep, the advice. 
if you can keep track of it, uh, and I'm sure you do keep track of it. But the one I wanted to ask you about, and this is, uh-huh. uh, this is an issue for me in particular because I was brought up uh, as a Mennonite, uh, a pacifist, if you will. I mm-hmm. worked in a hospital rather than going to help uh, this military-industrial complex, as you did. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, you know, and, I, and I did my, my thing in the hospital helping sick people, essentially. Um, and uh, so the morality of buying defense stocks. You and I have talked about that. We touched on this. Uh, and so let's let's talk about that. It seems to me, you know, the idea is, you know, should I buy cigarette stocks? They kill people. Should I buy defense stocks? They 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 kill people. The stocks don't, but the companies that I'm supporting through my purchase of their equities do. So how do you how do you reconcile that? You have some some very I think some very good uh, logical reasons uh, to justify morally the purchase of defense stocks. Talk to us about that, if yeah. you would please. I know it's counterintuitive to say that you should buy defense stocks, uh, even though you might be against the war. Um, but when you look at what you're buying, when you buy a stock, it becomes pretty clear. Governments have created what's called limited liability corporations, which have pretty much severed the ownership of the companies from any responsibility for the companies. Your, your liability when you buy a stock in a company is limited to the amount of your investment. So if you buy $100 worth of some company and they go out and they dump sewage on somebody's property and people catch typhoid and they die, you're liable for $100. That's it. No matter what your property has done to other people, that's all you're, you're liable for. And this has, has caused the stocks that we trade in to have uh, to be disassociated from the actual activities of the companies. When you buy a stock in a defense company, you're buying only three things. You buy the right to sell it, you buy the right to collect the dividends, and you buy the right to vote in the company elections, which is worth practically nothing. Right. Um, and that's all you have. You have no ability to affect what that company will do. You have no ability to affect what the government will do. You simply are a bystander in in all of this, other than you hope the dividends go up and you hope the capital gains go up. But you aren't actually causing anything to happen. Uh, A stock actually these days is really nothing but another currency. It's like a U.S. dollar or British Uh pound or a Swiss franc. It's just a currency that we hope earns some dividends. And that's all. Uh, and so, you know, to me, we have to live in the world the way it is. And what we want is investments, you know, places to put our savings that are as low risk as possible. And the ones that are low risk are the ones that are tied into those two historic economic trends of war and currency debasement. Mm-hmm. Those are the trends you can count on the most. And you have a responsibility to do your best with your investments for yourself and your family. Um, and, and so to me, that's the place to be. Now, if it was a fact that when you bought a stock that someone from that corporation or someone from the government would come and knock on your door and say, what do you think we ought to do in the Mideast? Well, we'll yeah. do what you say. Tell us what to do. Now, if that was going to happen, okay, now you've got your hands on the thing and you're responsible. But yeah. the reality is, you aren't responsible because you don't have your hands on the thing. Mm-hmm. 
All right, that's uh, that's that's fair enough. I think. I mean, certainly, um, if you're, you can't live in this society without without contributing to the military industrial complex when you pay your taxes and one thing or another as well. Yeah. Right. There's so that's another, another. Yeah. Another angle to it. Uh, do we have time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We got We've got a minute, perhaps yet. Okay. Richard. Another thing is that um, I'm actually kind of proud of owning some of these companies because. Uh, they don't just sell to the U.S. government. They sell worldwide um, to people who who really do need these weapons for their personal defense. You know, one example is the Swiss. There's nobody more neutral, more peaceful than the Swiss. Well, they deserve to be protected. And to say that, let's say, Lockheed can't sell to the Swiss is to say the Swiss don't deserve to have the ability to defend themselves. Well, I don't believe that for a minute. I think those people yeah. do deserve that. So yeah. there is a lot of honorable stuff that goes on worldwide with yeah. these companies that I think you know helps to um, counteract the dishonorable things that Washington is doing. All right, very good. Well, unfortunately, we'll have to leave it at that. I think your your points are well taken. I should have perhaps a little bit more time on this, but anyway, uh, I will say uh, that it is, uh, I think, very, very good arguments that you've made. I would suggest to Christians that might have a problem with them to read the parable of the dishonest manager, uh, and then I would suggest that if you have a problem with owning these stocks and making profits from them, take the profits and send them to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. They can use that money to help the world understand uh, and move back towards the Constitution of the United States, which I know is what Richard really wants to do as well. Richard, oh, yeah. we're out of time. I, I will look forward to having you again next month, I hope. It's always okay. a pleasure to have you. You're such a, such a pleasure to have on the show. Thanks for joining me again. Oh, same here. You're doing a great job, Jay. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Richard. Well, folks, next week, uh, next week uh, we'll have Axel Merck. Uh, hopefully, Michael Oliver will be with me as well. Uh, that's all the time we do have. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer. Thanks to all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Where infrastructure meets grade. Carlisle Goldfields, a TSX-listed Canadian junior miner, has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million.